popular Ukrainian songstress by the name of Oksana Mucha, that is from her CD Reshuto, and a song called Nakameni Nohemeyu, Washing My Feet on the Rocks. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm your host, Pavlina. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a great program for you. We have Ukrainian Jewish heritage and an interview with one of the world's few female conductors. So stay tuned for that as well. We've got news from Ukraine, courtesy Ukraine Today, our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a group that gets a fair bit of airplay here on Nash Holos and is certainly one of my favorites, and it's a favorite of many in Ukraine and around the world as well. The group, of course, is called Mandre, and here they are now with Tinga Linga. Чашка це Індії, берег, де сонце і спека. На моєму столі мапа вогоні ганжа. Я люблю сонячні хвилі і промені Бога. А ще я люблю цілувати тебе. 
么呀？金嘎林嘎啊哈啊哈哈哈！金嘎林嘎啊哈啊哈！金嘎林嘎啊哈啊哈哈哈！金嘎林嘎啊哈哈！金嘎林嘎啊哈哈！莫和那把头开一下，松子一那把咪一下。И даруе не звида ни крыла и дороги ганжа. Твои очи зелени, як море, як рай дуга сердце. И теплым променям своим огортаеме не. Моя тингалинга, ага, 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 тингалинга, ага, ага, тингалинга, ага, 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 тингалинга. Травы, ужерела хвода, а поветря солодкой бьянке. Я спеваю и песня отца у горах лунает. Ты теплым коханием своим огортаешь меня. Моя тингалинга, ага, ага, тингалинга, ага, ага, тингалинга, ага. Shining.
Ukrainian folk song called Hey Ivana, which translates as Hey Johnny, and that was performed by Zapovid. 
Up next, another popular Ukrainian group. This one does a lot of a cappella music, although some with instrumental accompaniment. But this next one is definitely a cappella. And here they are now, Jedala with Step Home, Step Home. The latest news stories from Ukraine, courtesy Ukraine's first international English news channel, Ukraine Today. 
Russian-backed separatist forces attacked Ukrainian positions nearly 60 times in the past 24 hours. In the Donetsk sector, the occupants fired banned mortars, grenade launchers and machine guns at the Ukrainian army positions in the town of Avdiivka to the north of Donetsk. They also fired automatic mounted grenade launchers and heavy machine guns at the Ukrainian positions at the Svitlodarsk bridgehead. In the Mariupol sector, the militants used mortars, machine guns and small arms in the town of Mariinka and the village of Talakivka, as well as grenade launchers in the villages of Vodane, Gnutove and Shirokine. Russia's hybrid military force continued provocations with the use of small arms near the town of Krasnohorivka and the villages of Starohnativka and Bohdanivka. They also actively used armored vehicles near Shirokine, Talakivka, Mariinka and Vodiane. Russian-backed separatist forces attacked the positions of Ukrainian soldiers 48 times in the past 24 hours. This is according to the ATO headquarters. Terrorists are said to have used heavy weapons, including the 122mm artillery systems. Avdivka industrial zone to the north of Donetsk remains the hottest point in the whole Donetsk sector, along with Mariupol direction. The checkpoint of Mayorsk, close to the village of Zaitseve, is reported to have been shelled from mortar guns. The ATO headquarters report Russian-backed separatists have been constantly increasing their attacks on the positions of National Guard fighters. Banned heavy weapon is also used in Luhansk sector. Neither killed nor injured Ukrainians reported so far. This medical crew at a hospital in the frontline village of Avdivka consists of a surgeon, an anesthesiologist, a nurse and a paramedic. Their job is to attend to the patients who live close to the combat zone in eastern Ukraine. When we need help, we of course go to the locals and ask for assistance. But sometimes there is not enough room for all the wounded. For emergency cases, a bus with all necessary medical supplies is always ready to set out. We have everything we need to take all measures to rescue and stabilize the injured. This bus is a gift from foreign volunteers. Its crew consists of two paramedics. However, this is not enough. In order for this bus to become an operating theater on wheels and be able to transport the seriously wounded from the front line to the hospital, it needs more personnel. As the vehicle cannot operate as a mobile surgery room, it is used as electricity generator, providing energy for the intensive care department and for the refrigerators in the blood storage. What is this? This is the town's strategic reserve of blood plasma for a month, but for the electricity generator, it would have been spoiled. The medics are doing their best to provide the adequate care amid the lack of equipment and personnel. Receiving modest backing from the government, they rely heavily on support from the volunteers. It is almost impossible to tell the exact number of Crimean Tatars who have been imprisoned after Russia's occupation of the peninsula. Currently, over two dozen people are being held in jail. The Ukrainians who did not recognize Crimea as part of Russia are now accused of terrorism and extremism. The first ones to become Russian prisoners were Ahmed Chigos, Ali Asanov and Mustafa de Gemenji. In early 2015, the men were accused of organizing mass riots near the building of Crimean parliament during Russia's occupation of the peninsula. At that time, Crimea's capital Simferopol held two rallies, one for remaining in Ukraine, another for becoming Russian territory. The protests claimed lives. However, none of annexation supporters have been detained. The aim is not to gain their loyalty, but rather force the Crimean Tatars out of the peninsula. 
The next arrests happened in 2016. The Russian special forces raided houses of Crimean Tatars, detained 15 people and accused them of terrorism. The authorities claim they are members of Hizbut Tahrir, an Islamic political organization banned in Russia. The situation is much worse for jailed Crimean Tatars than for other Ukrainian prisoners in Russia, the lawyers say. Consular support does not cover this area. In other hearings, Ukraine's foreign ministry usually provides a lot of assistance. In Crimea, we cannot count on that. In addition, Russia has created information void in Crimea, which is also a big problem. The lawyers for Russia's political prisoners, as well as representatives of Crimean Tatar parliament, say this issue must be made known around the world. The question of human rights violations in the occupied peninsula is regularly discussed within international organizations in order to free Kremlin's captives. Ukrainian citizen Yevhen Panov, detained in Crimea, has never worked for Ukraine's intelligence service. This is according to the spokesman of Ukraine's defense intelligence, Vadim Skibitsky. He also stated nobody, Panov mentioned, have ever been members of the institution. Earlier it was reported Russia's Federal Security Service published a video of Panov's interrogation. The detained man says he was acting by order from Kiev. He also lists his supposed accomplices, adding Ukrainian authorities paid him 3,200 hryvnias, that is 128 US dollars. I was invited to Kiev. There they explained me they are to create a subversive group for attacks on Crimean Peninsula. Personally, I was paid 3,300 hryvnias. Panov must have given evidence under pressure of Russia's Federal Security Service. No staff member of Ukraine's defense intelligence has been detained in Crimea for two years already. Russia is strengthening its borders with Ukraine mainland. This is how Russia officials explain military drills that have started on currently occupied peninsula. Nearly 400 soldiers, along with 10 naval ships and helicopters, are set to train, searching so-called underwater saboteurs. Meanwhile, Russia's Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev announced Russia may break off the diplomatic ties with Ukraine, since Kyiv has severely encroached upon Russia's territory and endangered the security of Russian citizens living in Crimea. The final decision, though, is to be met by President Vladimir Putin. Earlier this week, Russian Federal Security Service reported on having neutralized Ukrainian subversive group. Its members are said to have been preparing a series of terrorist attacks in occupied Crimea. Ukraine denies Russia's allegations. Numerous European leaders say they did not trust Russian claims either. The members of UN Security Council also supported Ukraine's independence and territorial integrity. Russia was the only one not to vote for the resolution. A footage showing the conflict between the employees of Ukrainian National Anti-Corruption Bureau and of Prosecutor General's office has been published on YouTube with the title That's how the Anti-Corruption Bureau really fights corruption. The clash between the members of Ukraine's two government structures occurred on August 12th. Chief of the Anti-Corruption Bureau Artem Sitnik said there is no conflict between the two institutions or between himself and Prosecutor General Yuri Lutenko. Sitnik also said there are, quote, actions in progress to protect personal interests of chiefs and employees of the Prosecutor General's office. According to the Anti-Corruption Agency's version of the events, the prosecution forces mistook their investigative actions for spying, which caused the conflict. The representative of the Prosecutor's office claimed his employees had been beaten up by a, quote, group of physical protection of the anti-corruption agency. Several criminal proceedings have been started by the two officers against each other's members. 
Ukrainian deputies of Verkhovna Rada demand punishment for Ukrainian TV channels caught collaborating with Russian-backed separatists. Last week, numerous Ukrainian journalists were announced suspected in cooperating with the so-called secret service of the occupied territories. Nearly 9,000 files were published online. The files revealed that media workers secretly asked for check and approval of the news from ATO zone. Tetyana Ihorova, the so-called Minister of State Security of the same proclaimed DNR, is said to have coordinated the process. Ukraine's National Council of Television and Radio Broadcasting knows about the mailing leak. However, the existing media laws do not entitle them to act. It is currently impossible to punish anyone for mail exchange with the leaders of the self-proclaimed People's Republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. If we had interfered in the process, that would have been considered as meddling in one's editorial policy. I guess numerous European institutions would have accused us of violating freedom of speech. The only institution to solve this situation is Ukraine's security service. Its officials claim to be currently revising the information. Meanwhile, Victoria Sumer, the head of the Committee on Freedom of Speech and Information policy assures the issue is to be discussed at the nearest parliament session. Tourists continue going to the occupied Crimea despite numerous warnings and reports on possible attacks. The checkpoints on the temporary border in Chungar, that is Kherson region, are set to work as regularly scheduled. According to the border officers, the average number of people crossing the border per hour is about 150-200 persons. The amount of cars approximates 30-40 vehicles. No military equipment is reported close to the border. Ukrainian officers say they have been working on the highest alert since the beginning of Russian occupation. By now, nothing has changed drastically. We have been watching the military equipment being moved since 2014. It is hardly possible to detect whether the Russians have brought more weapons here. They are on high alert following the potential subversive groups and terrorists. The civilians complain mostly on long queues at the border control. They stress they are tired and willing to arrive eventually at their destination, be it Crimea or Ukraine mainland. No one returning from the occupied peninsula is worried. Ukraine ends its fifth medal at 2016 Rio Olympics. Jean Belenyuk has won silver in Greco-Roman 85-kilogram wrestling, losing the gold medal match to Russia's David Chekvetadze. The 25-year-old Ukrainian athlete arrived at Rio Olympic Games as the reigning world champion. He won a gold medal in the 2014 European Wrestling Championships, the 2015 World Wrestling Championships and 2016 European Wrestling Championships. This is Ukraine's fourth silver medal at 2016 Olympics. Three-hour drive from Kyiv, a small Ukrainian village of Veliki Sorochinsky is hosting a grand event dedicated to Ukrainian culture and trade. The Sorochinsky Fair is an annual gathering of entrepreneurs, craftsmen, catering and children's entertainment organizations, as well as artists and musicians. The festival has survived from as early as 18th century and is held each August. Last year, over a million people visited the Sorochinsky Fair, including Ukrainian officials and foreign delegations. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's Ukraine News Roundup for this edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. To hear more news from Ukraine today, check all of this week's editions of Nasholos at www.nasholos.com. And for their full roster of breaking stories, as well as interviews, press reviews, and in-depth analysis on Ukraine, follow Ukraine Today on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and their live blog, uatoday.tv. And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now 
brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. I'm Pavlina, host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. This fall, the 75th anniversary of the Babinyard tragedy will be commemorated in Kiev on the initiative of the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. One of the events will be a classical concert organized and directed by renowned opera star Pavlo Hunka of London, England. And Oksana Liniev will be playing a leading role as well as conductor of the orchestra. Oksana is something of a sensation herself, and she joins us now by Skype to tell us a bit about herself and maybe give us a sneak preview of the concert where she'll be conducting. So, Oksana, welcome. Vitayu. Thank you. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Now, you were born yourself to musical parents, so a musical career for you is uh, no great surprise. Uh, you play several instruments yourself, right? Piano, flute... Um, piano, flute, violin, a little bit. Also, I, I really like to sing. Also, and yes, I was also surprised that I, on the end, I changed this professional of conducting. Well, I was going to ask you that. What, what, what just made you decide to to change? The question was that in my special musical college where I was studied in Lviv, then I was from as of my 14 years till 18 years. On the end of this college, we had some concert where I had to conduct the student orchestra. After after this concert, I get the, this idea from different people to start my professional things uh, only the conducting. And I was on the first moment I was very surprised, but after I thought, yes, maybe this is really the thing where I can put together all my musical talents and all things what I would like to do together, you know, because as, as conductor, you know, you need to have very this special touch to all the things, to, to instruments, to uh, solis, to choir, to all things. So you really obviously love music and you just wanted to be in charge. Yes, and you have to put, uh, to organize and to pan- manage all these things together. And this is very, very interesting because when you are conducting the opera, you have to become this feeling also for staging, also for um, optic things, you know. And this is very interesting to create this dramatic line to perform these big forms. And I thought that it was really something for me. So as a female conductor, you're something of a novelty in a male-dominated field. Uh, Do you encounter any difficulties or special challenges because of your gender? Yes. On the beginning, um, you had always more difficulties because you have to put your through in your career, not only like young conductor, but also like a young conductor and female conductor. And this is unconventional things also for now, for 21st century. But um, when you can develop you more and more, and when you get more success, it's become easier and easier. You were born in Brody, which before the Holocaust was a major hub of Jewish life for centuries. Growing up there, were you aware at all of, of Brody's Jewish past? No, my family is not not from uh, from Brody directly, because the family, the line of my mother, they moved from East Poland to Brody after the Second War, and the line of the family of my father, they comes from Carpathian Mountain. Uh, but in Brody, 
there it was very big uh, Jewish population, more than 80%. And we have also now wonderful, very big synagogue. But now it's a pity, but now it's ruin. But when you see this, you can feel really this very important Jewish center in Brode, what it was, because the next kilometer of, of Brode, it was Russia already. And it was very important town for economic and historical and strategic things. Mm-hmm. So you started out working in Ukraine at the Lviv National Academy Opera and Ballet? And also you were um, at the Odessa National Opera and Ballet Theater? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you went to Germany. I guess that was a new challenge uh, and, and opportunity. Um, how How is it that you managed to end up in Germany? Um, I, I can say only that this maybe it sounds strange, but now I already conducted in Japan, in, 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 in Paris, and now in Stockholm, and now I will conduct in Barcelona, but it will be my key of debut. <laughs> really? Because Yes, yes, it's it's very. I know it's funny, but uh, in Kiev already I conducted in May. I conducted very small concert uh, with very small chamber orchestra, but never some really serious concert with big uh, symphonic or opera stuff. And it will be my very important national debut also. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. They say that that uh, prophets are never <laughs> recognized at home, right? <laughs> I, I am very proud to conduct so important concert with so wonderful and very very difficult program, and really on the international ne- uh, level. And I'm preparing very very hard for this, and because I I think it have to be really. Um, very deep and interesting and very touching for for all people who can hear this. What's that's the largest orchestra you have conducted? You know, okay, maybe the biggest orchestra what I have conducted already, it was in June, a Bartok festival in Hungary, and it was maybe around 115 people in the orchestra. Wow. For Bartok, uh, for Bartok pieces. Wow. Wow. What was your first job? When did, when did you first take the baton and conduct your first orchestra? Tell us about that. This is difficult to say because my first job was like teacher in the school, in the musical special choir and musical school in Lviv, and I was 16 years old. Oh, Mike, 16! <laughs> I conducted choir, but not orchestra. And after it was very difficult with, to conduct orchestra and to get some money because in Ukraine it was very um, challenged time and uh, maybe it was that I conducted but without honorar, without some money or maybe I paid <laughs> for, for uh. musician because we was together with other student, composer student and we wanted to organize some very interesting concerts with modern music with pieces what uh, there was already just composed and we put our money together to organize this concert and to pay to rent some hall and um, to organize musician and scores and all things you know, it was I was very very appreciated really to conduct and um, this was not a question for me money or not love this podcast support this show through the acast supporter feature it's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment just hit the link in the show description to support now